0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at Libertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at Libertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle, and I wanted to thank you for listening and thank you for being here. Yesterday, we took a moment and and, uh, sort of a preamble because I think we have uh, some tough times ahead, but I wanted to take a moment just to kind of tell you uh, what I think our responsibilities as human beings are and uh, talk about how I think we're going to be fine and we need to exhibit some leadership. And then today, I want to talk about what is COVID 19? What does it look like when it's spreading? Why is this so novel? What does it feel like when you get it? What are hospitals doing to prepare for that? And I honestly could do, we have some great show notes from Sam Schultz who says everything that my guest says today, but I think it is so much more impactful when it comes from the director of a special pathogen unit at the state of indiana's largest hospital network than from me <laughs> i am not a doctor i haven't played one since third grade and so i just felt like we needed to talk to an expert who would give us information on why this is uh, causing such a disruption in our life and first and foremost i wanted you to understand what what personally will you feel how will it impact you if you got it Uh, What should you do? And how are hospitals preparing? So, And this interview comes from a radio show that I host on the weekends in Indianapolis on the iHeart stations called Now Hear This, where I talk to nonprofits, and and it's the public affairs program. And anybody that listens to this show knows that uh, charity is near and dear to my heart. And you can listen to those interviews if you look in your iTunes or podcast directory for Now Hear This with chris spangle or go to now so it was recorded first for that and i wanted to share it with you guys so without further ado here is my interview with the director of the special pathogens unit at iu health where we want to begin the conversation is with a very qualified person it is mary k foster manager of the special pathogens unit at iu health uh good morning and thank you so much for joining us
1: Hi, good morning, it's, uh, or good afternoon, I think it is now.
0: Yeah, so so let me ask, what is the Special Pathogens Unit at IU Health?
1: So this is designed, um, you know, five years ago we had a very large, the largest outbreak of Ebola um, in West Africa. And many centers around the country created um, these special biocontainment units where somebody that has a, a very highly infectious disease that requires maximum protection for the healthcare provider to stay and be taken care of um, effectively. So we have a unit here at Methodist Hospital. It's been here for the last five years, and we're always ready to go when there is a highly infectious disease that is um, warrants being in this kind of a, a unit. So those one-off patients are our are, are biggest group for this kind of a unit not your typical pandemic type setup like what we're seeing now so i wish we had more beds for that but we do not
0: so do you essentially start to help train a lot of the other doctors i know that a lot of elective surgeries have been cut short so does your unit then begin to give crash courses on certain things to other parts of the hospital how is iu health preparing
1: so you know i i've become an expert in what what type of personal protective equipment and the procedures on how to um, put that equipment on and then how to take that equipment off and do so in a manner that will reduce any risk of contamination to the healthcare provider. So with my background in this area, I have for the last six weeks actually been working toward, you know, what type of um, personal protective equipment do we need? Um, How do you, um, creating those educational tools to help Train everybody and it's not just nurses and doctors it could be the environmental service people it could be our uh, people that deliver our, our meal trays may need to to learn how to to do this so everybody in the hospital whether they have to be in a, a a gown and a mask or just maybe a mask we make sure that they know and understand what we're doing and what and why we're doing it and, and how we're going to keep them safe
0: so we'll revisit that in a moment, but I want to start at, uh, at an elementary level for people. Can you explain what is COVID-19 and what makes this different than the regular flu and other diseases? Why? why I mean, we're, we're effectively shutting down the economy for at least two weeks. Why is this so dangerous and what is it?
1: So the coronavirus, you know, there, there were six known coronaviruses. Um, four of them caused uh, routine cold, uh, cold viruses like symptoms. So uh, they circulate every single year. People can catch these at any given time. There are two that are a little bit more dangerous, and those are the SARS from two thousand and two, the Mideast East um, Respiratory Syndrome, which is still we see still uh, cases in the Mideast East of uh, the Arabian Peninsula, and then now this seventh one, which um, the disease is called. Covid, but the virus itself is sars cov 19 or two. Sorry, it's SARS-CoVid-2, and um, it's new. We've never seen it before, so we've had no exposure to it. Um, there's when you when you see something new like this, the first thing it's going to generate is fear and panic. Um, we don't understand, and we, we're we're slowly beginning to understand how this thing spreads. Um, what do we need to do to protect ourselves? What is the, the case fatality rate? Um, those are the things that we have to figure out and we're slowly getting there, but nobody's had exposure to this, so our bodies won't, they're not, how do I want to say this? They're not been exposed, so therefore they don't have any way to fight it off. Um, like with the flu vaccine, you build up antibody, or you know, you build up that um, ability to fight fight it off and, or not get infected. I'm trying to think of a better way of putting
0: that. So, sure, yeah. It's um, sort of what you learn in grade school. You know, you've got, uh, correct me wrong, you're, you're the nurse, but uh, you're, you have the white blood cells. And like, it makes sense. Like when you get a vaccine, your body starts to kind of build up uh, an immunity to it. But this is, so this is exactly. just radical.
1: That's, oh, that's the word immunity that's the perfect word for
0: it. Yeah, and so we have no immunity. We have no immunity. And so is that why it is so destructive and so I mean, first, let me let me ask you this because I know that there may be a portion of our audience who just doesn't think that this is a big deal and we're ta- we're taking catastrophic measures for no reason. Everybody's kind of overreacting. What would you say to that person who's listening to this?
1: Um, you know, we're not overreacting. Um, if you look at a hundred people in a room, and everybody gets infected, eighty of those people are probably just going to get either no symptoms or mild symptoms. Um, you know, maybe a cough, but they're going to be able to stay home in in their houses, kind of self isolate. Twenty of those people are going to end up in a hospital with pneumonia, and maybe a handful of those are going to have severe pneumonia. Um, or a multi-system organ failure, and may not make it back out of the hospital. Um, the one thing that we're still struggling with this is trying to figure out how many people, kind of what that case fatality rate is. Um, you know, with SARS back in 02 the case fatality rate was around eight percent. That's pretty high. With the MERS virus, it's running about thirty to thirty five percent. And right now, we're we're thinking with this COVID. Uh, Nineteen, we're looking at about a two two and a half percent. So not as dangerous as the two previous, but you know, with the flu, we we the flu is really bad, and it's still really bad. But even then, our case fatality rates are not that that as high as even one percent. So it, it's it's dangerous in the fact that that's new, um, and and, and it, it may be that you won't get really really sick with it. But if you're around to somebody else that um, catches this, it could impact them tremendously, up to and including death. So um, my goal is to say that just do what we need to do to keep everybody safe. You know, it's, it, it's about the people that you may not know who could be really negatively impacted by this.
0: So how does it spread? So that that number, that two percent versus thirty percent, I mean that so that that makes it sound like, oh, it's not as dangerous, but is it the speed, is it the virality of it? What what makes this so significant?
1: Well, one is how does it get spread? And we think that it's droplets. So when you cough or sneeze, you spread droplets about three to six feet outward, and then they fall down to the surface and stuff. Um, they're still trying to figure out if there's any airborne, so micro fine particles that, um, that you coughed out that kind of linger in the air. So, um, that's called airborne spread versus the droplet. And then there's the contact where those droplets have fallen down on the surface. You, you, you grab the handle to the door or you touch that railing and somebody's just sneezing their hand and touch that then you put your hand up by your face, and that's how you can infect yourself. So there's three possible ways, and we definitely know that it's droplet and contact, but we're still trying to determine, you know, is there an airborne component to the spread. Now airborne, to compare that to it, so measles is a good representation, or TB, but with measles, you spread measles, you know, up to about, 24 to 48 hours before you become symptomatic. And it can hang in the air for up to two to three hours. And anybody walking through that space can be breathing those particles in and can get infected. So that's where the difference is between airborne and and the droplet. So... um,
0: so with this, yeah. So with the, but we have immunity to measles because most of us were vaccinated as kids. I know I was before I went to school, and so you walk right. through that cloud and it doesn't affect you. Whereas with this, because there's no immunity in the human in the, the human species, basically, uh, it right. It's really uh, aggressive, and so the. The, the the word that a, a lot of us have never heard before that maybe you've heard is social distancing and and we seem to be taking it to a very aggressive level um, which if that prevents lives, I'm okay with it uh, the the term is social distancing why is that necessary? Why are quarantines in society necessary? How does that affect the spread and and the rate of it?
1: Okay so if we didn't do social distancing. So, what if we had the NCAA championship this weekend downtown? You know, what, Fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 people there? They have people that are coming in that have COVID but don't realize it or they just think they have a cold because that's what it feels like. They come in and they infect potentially thousands of people. Say so 80% of those will go home and say, oh, dang it, I caught a cold while I was at the the championship, but 20%, maybe that's 2,000 people that are going to want to come into the emergency department because they are acutely ill and need to be taken care of. Can you imagine in the emergency departments that, um, or the hospitals that are running, you know, around 80 to 90% full most of the time, can you imagine 2,000 people swamping all of these hospitals in central Indiana?
0: So let me, um, ask you a clarifying, right. let me ask you a clarifying question before you continue. A hospital like, okay. let's say, Methodist, how many beds does a Methodist have? So you're saying 2,000 people. How does that apply to our current, and, and they're 80% full? How many beds are in a, in a Methodist, to give us an idea?
1: So on, on an, any given day, we have around 475
0: beds,
1: and usually about 425 to 450 of those are pretty full. On a get on a regular standard day. Okay. So and- by doing the social distancing, so n- canceling the championship, which believe me, my husband is in mourning just like everybody <laughs> else is. But, um, that prevents those all you know the two thousand people that might be coming into the ER. It prevents them from getting sick. And yes, there's going to be low level, you know, infections happening. But instead of a huge spike of patients coming in, we we and you might have heard this kind of flattening the curve, Mm -hmm. you know, so that we have a steady number of people coming in over a longer period of time, and we can take care of them better and more effectively.
0: Okay, so that 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 makes sense, and so is okay. there is there also a part of uh, this flattening the curve concept that is trying to give us some time to figure out what might best work? I know I've seen uh, I'm not sure if the term is if the medicine is chlorinique. Uh, or hydroxychlorine if it is it's been shown uh, john hops excuse me johns hopkins has said that this may be effective in some ways is or maybe we're trying to ramp up the amount of ventilators that we can create is the shutdown also partly to give us time delay time so we can find out from europe what exactly is happening get some of these numbers because early on you're like well we don't know this we're not sure about this is, is part mm-hmm. of it so we can get to uh, a place where we have an idea of how to effectively treat this and delay the real, that explosion, that spike.
1: And, and that's an excellent way to put it. So what we're doing is buying ourselves some time. Uh, one, to understand what we're dealing with. Two, to prepare our nursing staff, get the supplies that we need um, as best as possible. And two, also allow us to look at what, what can we do to treat this? Is there a medication out there already? There are some other antivirals that I think that they're looking at, so maybe repurposing something that's currently being used or or developing something new. And then all important, the vaccine, which, you know, it it will take nine months to a year and a half to get a vaccine made, validated, and big enough production to be able to begin to vaccinate people Um, out there. So, I mean, that's not an easy fix, but anything, anytime that we can buy time to, to prepare is, is just, um, it's so important to save lives that way.
0: Right. Because, and I want to ask what you've seen in places like Italy or Singapore or Japan or other countries or China, it, it, it seems, as, it, as I have seen it explained, that it is the amount of ventilators, it's the amount of beds, it's that it hits so overwhelmingly quickly that it overwhelms those staffs, and that decisions then are made about who gets the ventilators and who doesn't, and that in, that is the part that maybe the disease kills 2%, but it's the lack of resources that kills far more. So what have you seen, as you're prepping your hospital... give us some context of what you're seeing in other countries that you're enacting in uh, IU Health.
1: So, you know, actually, it's not IU Health. Um, Oh, I think it was back in 2014 through 2016. Indiana State, our government here, as as did many states, uh, worked on um, what they call crisis standards of care. And if something like what we might be facing starts occurring, is providing some guidance to making tough decisions. And so our state government has things like that already defined. Um, They, you know, of course, are being looked at. And, you know, if it got to a point that it's really bad and resources become very thin, and you're right about the ventilators, You know, with these patients, they, about day eight or nine, you know, they are starting to feel a little bit better, and then the pneumonia sets in. So that can be um, more of a you know, that's when you know they might be in the the hospital.
0: So nine days in that—that's when they—that's when the ventilator comes. Nine days after showing symptoms is when it becomes dire.
1: Well, that's when they start to develop more respiratory symptoms. The pneumonia might set in. They might develop um, respiratory failure and need the ventilator.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Not always. I mean, you know, but that's when, you know, that is what they've seen in literature happening in um, um, China and Italy and other places.
0: Okay. And so how do you prepare for something like that? Are you just trying to supply the hospital as much as possible?
1: Very much so, but what people don't realize is that we've you know the you know our country and our you know state governments have been preparing for things like this for for many years. so we're not just you know Methodist hospital, but the state has a, a cache of supplies. we have um, a, a health care coalition that has supplies, we have um, federal the national stockpile that can be accessed. And then, of course, the military also has um, available resources as well. So there are, you know, there's st- there's equipment out there. So, but again, if we can slow this down, then then we'll have enough to get through this.
0: Okay, and, and I think that that gives me hope. And I, and I think that's that's kind of what a lot of people are feeling. It's like, okay, it's the the medical. Our, is our medical? system ready for this and that that just left me with a lot of hope i mean is is there anything else that you'd like to add to the hope bucket
1: (laughs) no i i think there is hope i tell you there's nobody more dedicated than a bunch of nurses and doctors faced with with tough situations um they're going to be here you know away from their families providing excellent care to the very best of their ability and um you know one i think we need to remember that um you know, yeah, things are probably going to get a lot tougher before they get a little bit better, but, um you know, they're doing everything they can. We're looking at every possible option for supplies and equipment and things like that to have available. So, you know, again, this early um social distancing, canceling everything, just telling everybody to stay home, it, that's why that is so important. Now I'm not getting the you know why the, the push to get toilet paper because I can think of other things I need more important than toilet paper at the house. And
0: Wait until but, you run out. You know,
1: some of this panic, <laughs> yeah, some of this panic, you know, you know, is is because people don't understand and they're scared. I'm scared that you know doctors and nurses are scared. We're we'll all faced with something totally new, but if you plan and you prepare and you trust that we're going to do the right things and get through this, we will get through this.
0: You're listening to Now Hear This with Chris Spangle. I'm your host, and I am talking to Mary Kay Foster. She is manager of the Special Pathogens Unit at IU Health, and their website is iuhealth.org. You know, one thing that I have seen out there is uh, going back to the—I think I had this in January— how did we kind of discover, I saw one epidemiologist on Joe Rogan, who is the main news source for America now, say that this jumped into humans in the third week of November. And when did we start to find out about COVID? And, you know, what, how, how do we know that this is special and different?
1: So, you know, in, you know as we're looking back in China of, of symptoms that people may have had by just, you know, chatting with them, so, yes, it may have easily started in November when it went from animal to animal to suddenly being able to infect a human. And then maybe that stopped there, but then maybe the next time the human got infected, that virus changes and then allows a human then to spread that virus very easily to the next human and then to the next human. So, we were noticed, or in China. Um, the doctors there noticed, realized in very late December that they were seeing a cluster of um, patients with uh, a with severe pneumonia that they could not identify an actual cause. So we can do um, a viral respiratory panels and eliminate a lot of different types or rule in what it might be. And you know they were not figuring out seeing any you know regular virus that we we know about. You know, of course, they checked for, for the mid east and they, you know, checked for SARS and they were all coming up negative. So then they, you know, the, the information was getting out and they realized that they were dealing with something new. And then they were finally able to um, isolate the actual virus and grow it and realize that they had a, you know, a coronavirus. And it, um, corona means crown. And when you look at this virus, it's very much like the picture that has these little spikes that have like little crowns on them and that's where the name coronavirus comes from. So this probably originated in a bat. Bats routinely bite animals for their, their for their you know, blood meal, and that's something that's been going on for eons of time, so for some reason that this virus managed to go from the bat to the animal, probably lived there for quite a while, and that for some reason it was able to, to mutate and change enough that it affected a human, and then allowed human-to-human transmission. So everything that we're seeing or experiencing from the first of the year is not COVID. It is our normal respiratory virus season. Um, We've actually seen this flu season has been actually really weird because normally what we see um, is influenza A at the beginning, and then when it starts to go off or slow down, we might see influenza B kick in. But this year we've actually seen influenza B spike very early, and, and it hits our, our youngest person, people, our kids, really hard, and then it started to come down and all of a sudden we're seeing now a spike in an in influenza A, which is H1N1, which really impacts our healthiest population, the 20 to 50 or 60-year-olds. So it's just been one of those really unusual flu season, And um, I don't think that we've seen it circulating here in the United States, probably... You know, we might have seen some spread coming in that we didn't realize that's what it was. Probably, oh, let's see, we're mid-March here, maybe mid-February and stuff just from travelers because we weren't screening travelers at that time or even in late January because we we didn't realize what we were dealing with and people were traveling. And again, most of these people have very low-level symptoms in the middle of a respiratory season and, and it doesn't ring as this is something new.
0: Right, so the Facebook doctor that says, you know, I've been seeing this since late December, that person's probably not correct.
1: <laughs> no, what they're, what they're seeing is our normal influenza season. Um, if, you know, they're checking for flu, you know, and it, and it depends on testing. So if somebody comes in and says, like, oh, doc, I, I feel horrible. I've got chills, I've got a fever, I've got a cough and stuff, and the doctors are going to say, well, you know, look at you, check you out, and they're going to say, well, you know, you probably have the flu, you need to go home, bring fluids, take Tylenol as needed for aches and pains and fever, get some rest, you know, eat your chicken noodle soup, and you'll get over this in the next five to seven days. So we don't routinely check all these people anyway. We treat them as the flu. It looks like the flu. It acts like the flu. gets the flu.
0: Let's talk about what it feels like. As it starts to move into the Indianapolis area, we've seen two deaths so far. We've started to see an uptick in cases. And, and let me, before I ask my question here, have we seen an uptick in cases? Are you seeing more and more people over the last couple of weeks? Where, where are we at in terms of the beginning of that, what's called exponential curve, as I've seen it explained?
1: Well, when I checked the website this morning, and I haven't checked it this afternoon, um, we were at thirty cases. I think there were uh, at least seven in Marion County. Um, we are starting to see an increase, but I don't know that it's because we've got more disease. We just have the more a better ability to test. Um okay. that has been the limiting factor up until now is that we've been very selective on who we who we test. So remember, eighty percent of the people that get covid nineteen, Will just have a common cold-like symptom, um, and remember, right now we're very much in the depths of a really nasty flu season. And we, honestly, I think everybody that we have tested for COVID have come back actually with influenza hmm. um, and still very, very sick with that. So um, that's that. If, if if anything has been bad in timing, it's the timing that this is happening in the middle of our of our respiratory viral season. That just makes it hard to say, hmm. Is that the flu, or is that one of the other, you know, 20 different viruses we catch every year, or is that COVID? So now that we're testing, you know, the ability to do more testing is, 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 is increasing, that we will, we will start seeing um, more, more numbers of positive cases just because we're testing more.
0: But that's not necessarily a reason to, if you start seeing more, it's not necessarily a cause for concern. It just means that tests are more readily available.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay. So I have had more people in the last week say to me, you know, I think I had it in January. Uh, and I think part of that is just sort of a, a psychological preparedness thing. But um, as you mentioned, the flu season, allergy season is kicking up. I woke up with itchy, mm-hmm. watery eyes and sneezing, and I was like, uh-oh, I've got it. And then I was, I took a Claritin-D, and, and my uh, symptoms cleared up. So what are the symptoms What are the initial symptoms that that people ought to understand? And how do they know that they're experiencing it or the flu? When should you seek out testing? How do you know?
1: So um, that is probably the the toughest question because right now the symptoms for COVID very much mirror exactly what you get for any other respiratory virus or influenza. Achy, chills, fever, um, cough more of a dry cough versus a wet cough, Um, shortness of breath, um, those are the main symptoms from uh, some people have had some nausea, um, but those are the main symptoms that people generally have. So if you're not acutely ill where you're so short of breath or you're wheezing, um, you're having chest pain um, when you're trying to breathe, um, if you can't keep fluids or food in, Those are the things that should drive you into going to the doctor or the emergency department. But if you're doing fine, a couple days rest at home, you'll probably be back on your feet. Then the chances, I mean, it's flipping a coin right now. It could be COVID, but it could be any of the other, you know, like I said, 20 different viruses. If you're fine, just stay home. Drink fluids, take Tylenol or ibuprofen for your fever. Um, Get some rest, eat some good foods. If you're having any of the more, the the worst symptoms I mentioned, the the extreme shortness of breath, chest pain, you know, not being able to eat or drink um, effectively, you're you're not going to the, you're not uh, putting out as much urine. You know, those are all symptoms of being dehydrated. Those are the things that even with flu, that's when you should go seek out medical care. Now, IU Health has a virtual app. So when in doubt, You can go to your phone and set up an appointment to actually talk to a doctor or nurse practitioner live and they will screen your symptoms and then determine whether or not you need to go to the emergency department or um, if you should just stay home and then they'll see if you, you know, if you have a lot of symptoms, you've definitely had contact with somebody that does have COVID-19. They may go ahead and do a test for you. Um, if you traveled overseas, you're going to have to stay home for 14 days anyway. Um, they may do a screening test for you then. But what I would advocate for, unless you're, in you know, acutely ill and you, 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 are have any of those symptoms, um, work through the, um, your physician office and stuff of going into the, the emergency departments. Um, we're really trying to, um, uh, minimize the impact to the emergency departments by pre-planning these people coming in and, um that we know that they're coming so we can get them in and out, that we have everybody in protective equipment so we can keep everybody healthy.
0: Because is one of the concerns that once tests become available, the news starts reporting on that, that everybody's going to rush to the ER to get the test, and then all of a sudden they're walking out with COVID when they just had an allergy or uh, the regular flu. Is that well, something?
1: That's no, a, that's, a, that's a possibility. I mean, you, you, you know, just sitting, you know, in you know, a closed in space, you know, you know, within six feet of each other, that, that in, increases your risk for any respiratory illness. So um, that's why doing this online video um, health check is really important, not rushing to the ER just because you got a cough. Um, you know, you're healthier to just stay home if you can
0: Okay, and that is iuhealth.org. You should. Yeah, org, and you can find that in the app stores. That is the vir- it's virtual screening. What, do you know the name of the app? IU Health Virtual is my understanding of what it's
1: called.
0: Okay. Uh, so, virtual
1: app.
0: Yeah, so just look up IU Health, and you can get that screened. Um, So, you mentioned ibuprofen, and I've seen, I saw The Guardian in the UK report this today that ibuprofen is not necessarily helpful and may make some things worse in regards to this. Have you seen any research on that? Is that uh, one of these old wives' tales that's running around the internet? Like, what are some common, maybe, things that you should debunk? I mean... I, I, so, you know, I don't want people out there to see that article and go, I'm not giving them ibuprofen, but that may be necessary, or or the inverse. So do you have any insight on that?
1: I don't, but, um, you know, I think as we begin to, you know, more people get infected with this, we work through their symptoms, you know, any medicines that they're taking. We may see things like, is ibuprofen, you know, a concern for making things worse or not effective at all? Um, I think we'll learn these things. I've not seen this particular article. My husband actually reached out yesterday in his line of work, they were questioning about um, certain allergy medicines. Can that create false positives huh. when they go to swab you? And I'm like, I have not seen anything like that. Um, it, you know, so I think all that kind of information, um, unless the CDC is saying, you know, this is absolutely do not use this. You know, I, I would just, Take it for a grain of salt, baby
0: okay, um I'm the son of so, a uh, I'm the son of a registered nurse, so it's been drilled into my head that you should not just eat over the counter medicines like candy so <laughs> that's
1: correct, Yes. that is correct, so you would only take the you know like tylenol for if you have a fever and you want to bring it down and again, if you have a fever that isn't you know it's staying pretty consistently high and and you you're taking medicines to. To reduce the fever and it's not effective again that's another reason to call your doctor and say I'm really I'm really sick
0: uh, so what are the current levels of tests because this has been a hot-button issue in the political world the the availability of tests where are where's your hospital IU health a- and your network at in terms of the tests that you need do you have enough do you need more when are they coming and uh, just give us some insight on the levels of testing there and versus the need
1: So, you know, we're still... um, Our primary source for testing right now is the Indiana State Department of Health lab. Um, There are several different outside labs. Um, One is um, ARUP in Utah, and then Quest is another lab that created um, a testing modality, and um, you can use that. Um, I am hopefully with either today or within the next couple days um IU health pathology lab will be doing in-house um testing so and and that will be great so that we can then you know hopefully start testing more people so um that's where we're at with testing at this time
0: okay so final question before we wrap up and we thank you so much for your time what is what should everyone listening understand that you see on a daily basis but the public might not
1: don't panic um, you know, put develop a plan. There's great resources on the CDC.gov um, that you can uh, use. If it's like, I don't know what I should do, you know, go to a source of truth. That's the CDC. They're going to help you, you know, with all kinds of information on what you should do and, and not do. Um, have a plan. Um, really reach out to your neighbors. If you've got a set of elderly uh, neighbors around, check on them. Make sure that they've got food. If they don't, maybe... You know, if you're not one of the high-risk categories, offer to go to the grocery store and get groceries for them. Um, be kind, be patient. We are all going to experience something that most of us have never had to experience before. So this is learning for all of us. I mean, the last time that I think they practiced social distancing and canceling a lot of these events was probably during the 1918 Spanish flu. So. Um, you know, these are things that are proven that that work. And, um, again, just be understanding. It, it is going to be more difficult. It will get more difficult before it gets better, but we will get through this. Um, your hospitals, your public health partners, the State Department of Health, um, all of your local uh, county health departments, they are working around the clock um, to put plans in place and to be there to assist you. Since we have so many people right now that are off work, you know, we're asking you to stay home, you know, if we find somebody that needs resources, they, they have things that they can do to help provide food, uh, make sure that they're getting their medications and stuff like that. So, reach out to your local health departments if you have concerns um, about your medicines or getting food. There are resources out there and, um, you know, like I said, just be kind and be patient and be understanding.
0: Mary K. Foster, manager of the Special Pathogens Unit at IU Health. Thank you so much for your time.
1: You're welcome. Anytime.
0: And again, their website is iuhealth.org, and you can get that virtual screening app to see if you need a test or if a loved one might need a test. Please do that today. Be prepared. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next Next weekend, with now hear this. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network, and you can find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. Shows like We Are Libertarians with Chris Spangle, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Now Hear This with Chris Spangle, Genderarchy with Tricia Stewart Mann, and our training podcast Upward Libertarian Activism. All of these shows are supported by our patrons. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, visit wearelibertarians.com. Thank you so much for listening to this show.